are listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for being with us. On this week's episode, Marcus Barnes returns to bring you his conversation with inclusive party providers, he, she, they. When you go and change who's on the decks and who are the dancers and not just having people with six packs, having just people who are good dancers with different body shapes, like all these things, you feel included. When that's different, it's reflected on the, the dance floor and who's buying a ticket because all these different people who were disenfranchised before when it was just like three straight white men DJing, they think this club is a place for me and I can enjoy it. Stephen Brains and Sophia Kern run The Weird and the Wonderful, a talent management company working with DJ Lag, Maya Jane Coles, KDA, Ejeka and loads more. In 2018, they founded He, She, They. Initially intended to be a gender-fluid clothing brand, He, She, They has become an international, inclusive, open-minded house and techno rave. A place for people to be people, irrespective of age, race, sex, gender, ability, religion, background or sexual preference. This conversation with Marcus is honest, insightful and suitably dazzling in places. They talked about what it's like to be hugged by Beyonce, how lockdown had them traipsing around the local supermarket whilst they should have been hosting a party at DC10 in Ibiza, and their thoughts on the future of nightlife. I hope that you have a wonderful listen to the exchange with Sophia and Stephen of He, She, They. Um, how are you guys doing today? Very well, thank you. Yeah, are we, we just... li- are we live? Now? Yes. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, thanks for joining me on the RA Exchange. It's um, Tuesday, the twenty third of February, um, and there was some pretty good news. Well, some people are a little bit sceptical, but there was some good news in the announcement last night. And that's kind of where I wanted to start with you both, because obviously our industry has been completely shut down for a significant amount of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's obviously been very difficult for all of us. And there was some kind of light at the end of the tunnel that came through in the announcement last night. And I just wanted to touch on how that's made both of you feel and if it's kind of um, sent you into any kind of like, wow, we can make some plans now for the second <laughs> half of the year. I, I and it's made me feel good. I think I think we all just needed a point to work towards. I think for a really long time now, through a very long winter, it's just been this rolling train of what you know potential future whereas even having that date even though I don't have my heart set on it it may well move but feeling like we may have some semblance of some summer summer events and some some hope and some income for a lot of us I think is is really really hopeful and I think we all just need that to keep our enthusiasm through like the endless sea of emails and and zooms (laughs) (laughs) yeah they never they never seem to stop do they even though we're, they in, do not. we're in lockdown slash shutdown. Somehow business <laughs> is still really, really active. 
totally we've worked like proper full-time like the whole way through the pandemic aside from a few weeks maybe at the beginning when everyone just sort of threw everything in the air and no one knew what the hell was going on we were trying to contemplate you know all of our own humanitarian existence <laughs> through this but uh, yeah we've we've been we've been flat out just trying to work out other ways to um showcase our artists and our brand and try and pivot and develop through this yeah what about you steve um I'm 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 happy. Like the idea of talking nonsense to someone in a smoking area really appeals to me after <laughs> a year and a bit without it. But um just like Sophia, I'm a little bit hesitant because I feel like there's been a lot of kind of boy cried wolf moments. Mm. So I, when we're planning events, we're not planning them for June or July. We're gonna give ourselves like a little buffer because realistically, given everything there will probably be some kind of slide back. I'm just delighted I get to steam in sauna again because that's my like happy place other than a club. So once <laughs> I get that, that's the big tick. And then clubbing is like the giant cherry on the top. But mm-hmm. um, like Sophia says, we've been working so hard. It'll just be nice to get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too right. Too right. And on that, on that note then, um, talking about work, uh, you guys have obviously... You've, you've, you've been around for a little while and over the last few years, you know, you've established a brand, which we're going to focus on shortly, um, that has, has really made um, a, a big impact. And, um, you know, all credit to, to, to both of you and the rest of the team for, for bringing that through. Uh, I wanted to just get into a little bit of history with the both of you and, um, you know, talk about your beginnings and how you kind of got into the industry and also how you sort of came together and and started the the work that you're doing now um Sophia would you mind just um sort of taking taking me back to how you sort of first got connected with music and and then made progress into the industry um I I was going to go be an English teacher when I was 17 doing my university options and then my first I I loved music always growing up from pop to dance to everything you know my mum was very you know pop focused my dad was very chemical brothers prodigy and I, I went to Glastonbury when I was 17 and we were camped on the top of the back of the, of the pyramid stage. And I could see behind the pyramid stage where there's that little area of the backstage bits. And it, it first dawned on me that there was this whole industry around just not being an artist. There were, and I just thought, oh, all these people didn't have to didn't have to fight for two hours to get a ticket. They're all being paid to be <laughs> here. And they're like this, the energy of that place just literally captured my soul and I came home covered in mud changed all my university options to music management the next week and went and did a three-year degree wow, yes. <laughs> um, and I, I was I was really I did every single work experience placement offered to me in those three years met some amazing people went to a lot of gigs promoted parties at uni um, and then um, I was very lucky to land a job at, at William Morris um, straight out of university. So I was the youngest person in the office by about four years at the time. Um, and that was sort of how that was sort of my, my segue into the industry, to be honest, and really learned a lot in those two years, you know, working on some of David Levy's acts and having, you know, Russell Warby, who 
you know, worked with Foo Fighters and all these amazing acts, Solomon Parker, who was doing Prodigy and like, but also Girls Aloud. And it was just, it was so exciting for me to be, even in an office environment, it was brilliant. And I just took every single festival ticket I could possibly get my hands on for the two years that I worked there and went to as many things as possible. And that's what kind of kicked things off for me. How did you um, how did you get in touch with William Morris and, and how did that all kind of play out? <laughs> well, this makes me sound a little, uh, oh, I don't know, I see what you're saying. I, I got some work experience at the International Live Music Conference. So in return for stuffing all the delegate bags for two days and your travel, you had to go into London, stuff all these bags full of leaflets. And, and one of the pieces in, a, in, the, in the pack was a contact book that had the email address of every single delegate delegate that was attending the conference and one of those just happened to end up in my rucksack and <laughs> I, I do, as soon as my lessons finished in early May of my third year I went to the library for a week straight and I wrote personalized cover letters um, I researched every single email address record everyone in there like narrowed it down to places where I'd love to work and wrote uh, some, made a CV and a personalized cover letter basically saying I don't have any experience but I'm I'm very passionate and I want to get into this and just there was quite a few people replied actually which was really nice but um yeah it was uh William Morris who said they didn't have a position for me but I was happy that they were happy to give me some advice and I could come in and I went in and took that meeting obviously and then they rang me back a week later and said something's come up come and join and that wow. was it. I was I was commuting from uni, my uni town for the last few months and just just took it and went with it. And it was it was a baptism of fire for sure. <laughs> you know, I went in early. I stayed late. I made mistakes and beat myself up for them. I all of the things. But it, it was incredible. And it's it, it paved the way for me for the whole of the rest of my career. Like that job helped me get my next job. Um, and then. And then, and then Stephen and I met each other like 2004, like 12, I think. Was it Stephen? Wow. We've been working together like eight yeah. years now. Do you want, wow. do you want to tell, <laughs> do you want to tell how, how we met? No, you could tell it. Go on. <laughs> so, so Fia and I are business partners now, like everything 50 50 um, from the management company to he, she, they, like we founded and started that together. Um, so, Originally, though, like because this is years and years and years ago, uh, or like eight, nine years ago, or something. Um, yes, yeah, Stephen realized he just basically needed someone to help him because um, I'm mental <laughs> in the nicest possible because he's way. mental. Uh, um, and sorry, go on. I've no, 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 it's fine. See, we're, we're, we're also <laughs> like a non married, married couple. <laughs> No, I was just thinking who we that. like, who we like, because I always say that we're like, um, like Richard and Judy, but she didn't like that. We're we're a bit of a combination between uh, Holly, Holly and Phil just bursting into fits of giggles all the time, or Phil and Kirsty from Location Location just giving each other a lot of jibing all the time, and it kind. Of- but it works. Richard and Judy is Richard and Judy is just a little previous generation for us, I think. It is. But anyway, yes, all these Anglo-centric <laughs> comparisons. But um I know, I know there's there's gonna be international people listening going, what are they talking about? <laughs> well well like Kim and Kanye. Apologies. Um 
but but, but no so so we i had because i'm i'm a qualified psychologist so like a business one so i thought you know what the job is a really weird complicated job to do and you always need to be like friendly on the move a lot of times like then i was flying around with my jane calls who we manage um so i wasn't going to be in the office so it's like i need someone who can handle anything and I don't have to be there and I can't like spoon feed the person like stuff because it wasn't like being mm. just an assistant, like Sophie had to like come in and help run the business. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So all my interviews I'd done, uh, was it John Lewis or House of Fraser? No, it was, I John, thought it was John Lewis. Lewis. <laughs> I've become classier <laughs> in my old age than my, than my upbringing. So, so my thing was, all right, you, I want you to help me pick bedding for my bed. And it was like, what? Like, and we'll just have the interview in like, like as part of it, like we'll just have the interview in John Lewis. And the, the idea was just to see how people would do on a task that was just kind of like thrust upon them. So how would someone cope outside of their comfort zone, basically? Yeah. Um, so all these other people were like, well, when's the interview going to start? I'm like, oh, it started. Just like, you know, tell me about yourself. What would you do in this situation? Like, like in management, like da, da, da. And then I'd like pose this, this like question of like, oh, you know, I was like thinking about like, it's getting better. And just something to throw them and see how this, like everybody failed apart from Sophia. Sophia not only took like, like answered everything amazingly. She went and sat us down next to, um, like on this like fake kitchen showroom <laughs> so we sat down and, ha- and she she turned the meeting into a formalized meeting at this like showroom kitchen set there's there was an <laughs> actress from coronation street randomly who kept following us around the whole time which was awesome he likes to think she was following us i'm not <laughs> sure if that was exactly her intention but it was certainly a really yeah it was we just laughed yeah. a lot and we we've, we've kept that premise these whole eight years you know some days we drive each other crazy but 90 percent of days we just fall about laughing to be but, but, but yes so so that that work had you not met each other before no no it's the first time we ever oh, met each other right. and, and so a, mu- a mutual friend um basically uh who i worked with at my job previous to meeting Stephen, which was an atm artist working with uh swedish house mafia alex metric mike snow jack lecon um doing just sort of all parts of that really like mm. bits of marketing agency all sorts of stuff but i'd left that position and a girl that i worked with there um, who also knew Stephen, just gave me his phone number and said, oh, I, I bumped into Stephen at ADE. I think you two would get along. And we text each other and met outside Topshop like a couple of teenagers <laughs> and wand- wand- wandered off to John Lewis for me to advise him not to buy the leopard print um, bedding for his grinder date. So yeah, that, that was literally it. And it was, <laughs> and, and, and basically, wasn't it between me and Warners or someone? And then you picked. As the, the, I've been the off the job. Card. It was Atlantic. I, I was going to go and work for Atlantic because I'd never done a I'd never done a major label role before, and I and I, and I was interested uh, having done management and agency and marketing to go and really learn the label side. So, but then I met Stephen, and I just I don't know. I just had this weird feeling in my stomach, and I remember going. I remember going to meet my boyfriend at the time afterwards, and just being like, I, "This guy was." A bit of a fucking nutcase, but we had a really good time, and I think I think this might lead to. I think this might be really good. I just felt I felt 
I'm, I'm a real go with your gut feeling person. And so um, had to chase Stephen quite a bit to pin him down to actually give me a formal offer. But um... I was traveling <laughs> around the world, though. Like it wasn't it wasn't like I was being a dick. Well, that time. Oh, now yeah, I, I give you all the time in the world for an offer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that I turned the other job down, and um, the rest is kind of history, I guess. Wow, wow, that's that's a really um, that's a really cool story, which I actually didn't know. Um, <laughs> so, so Steve, um, let's bring our attention back to you for a bit. Um, so. You've oh no, got... Marcus! Really, I'm such a, <laughs> a, such a what small a wallflower and... here. Yeah, such a shy, retiring <laughs> flower. Uh, <laughs> so you you have obviously um you've you've got quite a sort of just just got a really interesting story, and you've you've done quite a lot in your time. I wondered if you might be able to give us a little bit of your story. Um, I mean, you could go on for ages, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> and probably will, but um. Yeah, I just wanted, I just wanted to get a, a little bit of an understanding of um, how you first sort of got connected with music and then sort of found your way into the industry. All right, I'll give you an abbreviated version because I did go on. Um, but ba- basically, my mum loved Kate Bush and was quite punky, and I was obsessed with Kate Bush. And my mum was also, at the time, an agoraphobic pianist who could play military polonaise by Chopin and these massive things on a, on a piano. So I was kind of surrounded by music and my, I was kind of like the main person that my mum would speak to, I guess. So she she told me about all these different scenes and, and like the importance of music and um, and in other times of my childhood, I think, which were a little bit crazy, I've kind of, the one constant was, was music. My dad and I didn't always get on either but the one thing we did get on with was music as well and he liked mm. the eurythmics and things like that so like and and m people as well which mm. which made me have a love of rasping heather <laughs> and every, every my entire career is based on trying to make heather feel like i did something that made her feel proud <laughs> um that's an m people joke. anyway niche but um yeah <laughs> So, so, so I'd kind of had that, and my sister would go into raves, and she was listening to Atlantic Two Five Two on the radio, long wave radio. So I'd had all these different things. So I definitely wanted to do music, and I remember being at school and saying to my mate, "I was going to run club nights when I was older." And I'd made up this club night called Elements, and like it was, it was, it was something weird. Like the one of the toilets is called O Two, and this other toilet was named after Plastic. And all these things would have all these things. And randomly, he went on to be some massive police detective. And then I, I went on to run clubs. So <laughs> our paths really diverged. But basically, I'd gone on a rugby lads holiday. And I'd, had, I'd gone from being a goth to being a Nirvana fan. And I'd had really long blonde hair, which was actually orange because I hadn't done the peroxide ride. <laughs> and I went, I went to Ibiza and they were like, the lads were like, you have to shave your hair off because it's a state. And I was like, no, man. And I was like, trust me, that needs to go. Otherwise, no girl at the time. I mean, there's been, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of changes. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was girls back then, it's boys right now. But um, so so I'd gone to Ibiza, new hair, suddenly I actually looked attractive for the first time in about three years. And um, yeah, I was watching this this 
person dance on a sexual podium at my admission who had a giant penis that was hollering out a cantaloupe. Me and one of my buddies were, were kind of giggling at it. Claire from my admission went, stop being a dick. Like, don't... Like, you, you're laughing at rather than with. Like, that's that's not cool. And I was like, no, 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 I'm laughing with. So I, well, you wouldn't do it. So I went and took my clothes off, jumped on a podium, and um, st- stayed in Ibiza for a few weeks, randomly <laughs> met... Like, this is, I'm a kid who has been abroad at this point once before. And the only time was, was I went to Paris and we came back really quickly because I tripped over and smashed my front teeth. So I didn't have a great record of being abroad. And um, so I, and I, I come from Sunderland, so it's like quite an industrial town. I was meeting all these like crazy people like Jean-Paul Gaultier and Kate Moss and stuff. All because I'd like, Take my clothes off, jumped on this podium, and then the manumission crew. They also, by the way, thought I was a lot older than I was because I was big built, but I I was probably about sixteen at the time, and wow. uh, yeah. And then someone says, "Oh, do you want to like they worked for Kiss at the at the time? They were like, oh, we're running this club night, Peach, which was at Camden Palace. We want to do it um, in different places because it was just kind of the." the event of the super club and they wanted to franchise out mm. and these experiences and peach was a massive, massive deal. So I put my hand up. I was like, yeah, I can run a club night. And like, <laughs> like little did they know that I wasn't legally old enough to be <laughs> in a club. So, so I went in, like did all this stuff and like set up all like, like it was quite mad. So like I was running a club night at our little nightclub where I was technically too young to actually work there. Oh my God. Um, for about a year my mum used wow. to, to drive me there and back <laughs> and like she used to help me and I used to put up all like the branding and help do the buttons and stuff and like my mum used to call the brand and the curtains and you put up the curtains in the venue yeah <laughs> like it was so it was so silly but then and then they were like oh you you pull in a really young crowd because basically it was my friends from like college and stuff who were all Brilliant. born to this night um so that's how I started off. And then randomly for my freshers, I was um, Ministry of Sam were doing a night. And Ministry had seen that I was doing stuff for Kiss. So Ministry poached me. So I ran, when I went to Northumbria, I ran Newcastle Uni's freshers for the Ministry dance party. Wow. Which was so odd because it was like the first time I was legally allowed to be like <laughs> in a club. I, I changed my uni office to go to stay in Newcastle because... A, I wanted to look after my nan, who was really ill at the time, and B, mm. because um, ministry were like, oh, this job's dependent on you being in this town. So I, I changed all my my wow. uni stuff. So Fair that enough, that was kind of how I initially got into it. And then at the time, I was also a music journalist because my friend Ruth Littrot, who presents the news for Channel 5, went in, ran over my tent at Glastonbury. And she was like, well, what? Well, like she's like, oh, I'm really sorry. Like, what can we do? I was like, you can give me work experience at the BBC. So I interviewed like <laughs> Richard Branson and Debbie Harry and Martin Mark <laughs> and all these mental people. So that was like my foundation into it. And then just I scouted for Michael Morley at Zumba, um, who and he was amazing. Like, like literally the best musical brain I, I think I've ever met of anyone. Like seeing something left to center that can curve in. Like he signed um, Daft Punk to publishing MIA. Nitten Sony, Vampire Weekend. He was on Adele and stuff like that. Like when I was scouting for him, like 
super early on everything, like white stripes. Mm. And Scissor Sisters, his old boss, had said that he couldn't sign because they couldn't see the potential in them. It's just like everybody needs to shut up and listen to what Michael Morley um, thinks. But he's most incredible mentor. And he was just like, if something's good enough, it will find its scene. It might take a while, but yeah. it will, it will, it will, it will find its kind. Of, it will rise to the top. Um, so he signed the first band that I ever managed, um, and then that got me to London. And at the time, I'd also been like a prison psychologist and stuff, and like weird, weird other jobs. At the same time, like so when did a, you come a, to London? Prison psychologist. So. After I'd split up, after I moved to Australia, worked more psychology jobs and was also scouting there. And then I came back, split with my girlfriend of seven years. I got dumped by her. And then I moved to London and realized I was gay. So it's like, wow, oh, cool. <laughs> what is this mad Narnia like? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, what um what year did you did you come to London then? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I'm not the best with dates because it all mm. blurs into one. So yeah. I was about 24, 25. Yeah, because I, I can remember in terms of being gay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah, so I came there, worked for Crown Music and then ended up mani- uh, managing Nadine Shah, who's this amazing singer. Yes. Like, And she, she first met me and she was like, Oh, they were trying to make me a pop star, so I left music. But I've written this song about the suicide of my ex-boyfriend. And I was like, that's incredible. Like the, the song was incredible. It's called Dreamy Town. It's out on Spotify. And she's like, What someone like it? I was like, Yeah, like it's incredible. So I started working with her and um and yeah, like and then started managing Tricky, which was mm. crazy. So if you ever watch the video of Tricky not singing heard Beyonce's forms of Glastonbury I was the delighted manager waiting in the wings there <laughs> and uh we'd only gotten playing there because he was banned from Glastonbury for something crazy that someone in his old entourage had done so that was quite weird um, getting introduced to like Jay-Z Paul Simon him, um all these people like legends and then I was standing on stage and like Gwyneth Paltrow and like Lucy Lee backed away from me when uh when when the tricky thing went wrong, but you know what? This, this is just all a random aside, but like Beyonce is the nicest like big celebrity I've met because a when I looked tired, she gave me a seat and went, "You look tired." But b <laughs> when when the thing with tricky didn't work afterwards, she came up and she went, "You look more upset than I do," in a better <laughs> in a more Beyonce voice than than I just did. <laughs> but like um, she just gave me a big hug and then invited me to our album lunch next to you, McGregor, the next day. So it's just oh, like. Nice. This woman is like just obviously just feel feel like Sophia. Just felt sympathy for me, like who's this hapless fat man? <laughs> and like how how can we help him reach his potential? So a bit like the mighty ducks or something. So, uh, so so yeah, it was managing tricky and doing that. And then from at the same time I was managing Maya, who was just coming up, and then um so that's my Jane Cause, and then from there managed Taylor of Us and Magda at mm. a time where Sophia manages co-manages Maya with me and mm. um, also worked on uh, Magda, Cats and Dogs, Taylor of Us, a whole bunch of people that we we have. And we also managed KDA, who was my flatmate at the time, to yeah. number one with his debut single. So there's been yeah, like that that, that was a wild moments. ride of a of a few months. Take uh, yeah. to number one for sure. Yeah, t- tell us a bit about that. 
So, Chris, Chris moved in with me because I'd split up with my um, boyfriend at the time, who still really good friends with, but um, I was a bit gutted, and then um, obviously, and I was feeling all a bit just anxious. So I, I got a flatmate to move in. He's one of my my really good friends, Chris, and. Uh, he had this song with Ministry that was working called Rumble. And it was like the label would be in the label and just like he just needed someone to help him another manager. And I was like, well, I'll, you know, I'll be a kind of backseat driver, I'll help you on stuff. And then I felt, oh, well, rather than being this manager who's kind of like interfering like a showbiz mom, just make me the manager and I'll help this song, which is just an instrumental at this, at this time. Mm. Um, and we talk about music on a nighttime anyway. So we're like, like, why not help a friend out? And then we started, it just started getting play after play after play. Then we got Katie B who wrote this incredible top line to it. And then um, to like, Oh no, we need a rap thing as well to make it really pop. Um, because the way the algorithms work and Spotify and stuff. And then Tiny went and delivered his first. So then, yeah, then, then, uh, then it was crazy because at the time, the we, we were ADE running like parties the week that it was going in uh, like the chart battle. And then we suddenly got yeah. told One Direction are going to release this week and next week Adele's going to release. So now you have to pick between <laughs> are you going to beat One Direction, <laughs> biggest band in the world, or Adele, the biggest female singer in the world? And we were like, I, rem- I remember sitting in that hotel room having that conversation. <laughs> Which should we go against? So we, we went with One Direction in the end. We um, did, we did, because we- it was Hello with Adele, and it was that you know the be a big massive comeback single, yeah. and so we just I don't know we he- we hedged our bets against dance record versus um versus a boy band record. And we yeah, just- and it and it and it. And it worked. I mean, like the Adele thing, like Sylvia says, it was such a big comeback that it was always going to be number one. But yeah. it was like, it was so crazy because at one point we, like One Direction had largely been ahead because of pre-orders and then suddenly we started edging it and it's like, I can't believe this. And then <laughs> we were trying to like, yeah, just hold ourselves together. Because ultimately I'm a kid from Sunland and Sophie's a kid from Banbury. Like, like, and we're having a number one record from my flatmate who's just moved into my house. Like, it was such an odd, like, situation. I mean, I remember coming back to London and being exhausted from ADA, find out that it was number one, and just kind of been like, oh, it's number one. Like, right. Yeah. And then somebody <laughs> had to come to my house to take me out to then go to, I think we went to Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club or something. Like, they were literally, like, Chris sent like his assistant to pick me up because I was just like kind of shell shocked, and it was it's a weird feeling because it's like it's not like a movie where ah it's your number one. It's like okay, yeah. what's next? Oh, next week we're not number one anymore. All right, and it, and you're wow, like but... like everything's gonna open for us all these doors because someone's a number one artist, and it's like it's no it's no different. Like like we were getting more bookings coming in for like Maya, for instance, who wasn't a top 40 artist than we were for Kitty, who's number one. So it's just like, it's a weird disconnect between the things. I mean, like from a family point of view, that and where my Rolex are the two things that my family are like, oh, you actually work in music. 
yeah. <laughs> you, you need those little nuggets, don't you? Or or a big nugget in, in like as an in, in, in respect of a number one. But like when like it's the same for me. It's like you know when you're trying to explain to your family or your wider like social circles what you do or who you work with you have you have like your staple of like the ones that you bring out for like the masses quote unquote <laughs> yeah and they'll just yeah. get they'll just get it and then there's all these other ones that you just you're not ashamed of them but you just won't mention because they'll you'll go such and such and they go oh yeah okay and then yeah. it's just awkward silence because they're like I don't know who the hell you're talking about <laughs> one for one for my sort of family and, and my, my dad and stuff was definitely when Maya went and opened for Depeche Mode on on some of their dates and Stephen and I went oh, out yeah. to to Russia for it and Maya played to a crowd of like 50,000 in, nice. in Moscow and then Depeche Mode went on and they said oh we'd love it if you join us for, for some drinks would you meet us at the at the Four Seasons in Red Square later so we were like absolutely we will <laughs> so we, we we went and sat down and just got a table didn't even know if we'd end up sort of seeing them and so me Stephen and Maya would just sort of sat at a table ordered ordered a drink and and they came in and, and asked if they could join our table to which was just <laughs> beautiful we're watching the um sort of people walk past and the whole red square lit up and they ordered loads of caviar for the table and just started telling us all of their stories from wow. from their sort of hedonistic days and that was uh, that's certainly um some moments that the older members of my family really really get and that being a, that being a big deal amazing i mean i'm, I'm a socialist goth so doing it in <laughs> red square with the post board was just one and again like the loveliest band I, th I think like you find a lot of those people who like Beyonce's depression mode it's like no one can say shit to them like they've they've ascended to as far as that you can so it's just really nice yeah <laughs> like, yeah like it's really it's really keep, same with Maya just the Maya's the nicest person you could ever you could ever imagine and it was so totally. cute and then we also just did Alanis Morissette remix album which is random talking about yeah. like People from our childhood, we did a trans inclusive feminist uh remix album with Alanis Morissette, like stuff like that. It's like, nah, man, we didn't do that. <laughs> but it's like, the oh, thing is, like, you, you, you say that, but you know, when you when I'm listening to both of you talking about your your journeys to get where you are, like, you know, the tenacity that you've displayed and the the you know, the the, the sort of open-minded approach to like taking chances and allowing like you know yourself to almost be like swept up in in whatever's going on like not every ordinary member of the public will do that or or have that drive or have that ambition to to push themselves and to to get into these like to get their foot in the door and to you know and to and to to, prog to progress and to really like achieve the dreams that they've set their mind on so like you know have to think about that stuff as well full disclosure i was homeless for two years in london i didn't have a key to my house i met beyonce and then went and slept on the couch of my brother wow. like after being in a hedge funds house where like i don't know he had a choice of helicopter in two different colors to pick which helicopter he wanted oh my god then it's like and now i'm just gonna go to my student brother's house because it's the only <laughs> place that i can sleep tonight so it was there was so much bravado and stuff on the outside. And I think that's the thing. If you project confidence, people, people believe in you and then you're allowed to actually go do the job. 
Yeah. yeah. And it, it's a hundred percent a lifestyle choice that this isn't, this isn't a job. If you want to, if you get into do um, management, especially, or if you want to start your own brand or your own club night and things that travel around the world, you, it's no, it's no clock on clock off situation. Like you are, you're wedded to that brand and to the team around you and you'll pick up the phone at, you know, for example, Steve would call me at 11 o'clock last night and we ended up on the phone for like an hour, just like excitedly talking about ideas. Like that isn't, mm. that isn't a cock on cock off job and, and never has been, you know, like we work most weekends, like sometimes one thing will make money, but something else will lose money or will invest money into something to make it work. Like it's all just about the next building block to get to the next stage, to the next thing that we can't believe is happening. Cause you just got to fly by the seat of your pants. Like I don't, I don't want to, for me, and there's nothing wrong with anybody who wants to do this. I know a lot of people love having security and different things like that. And there's times when I even wonder whether should that be more something I should care about, mm -hmm. but also I just, I just love the wild, the wildness of it all and never <laughs> knowing what's going to happen and looking at my calendar and looking at, well, which country am I going to fly to? There's all this touring diary. Yeah, we'll go here, we'll go here. Show comes in for he, she, they. Shall we go to this country? You know, some options came in for India. Do we want to go to India in a month and throw three he, she, they parties in five days? Yeah, all right, let's go. Like, because it's, it's, I don't know, why not? Just... Yeah, exactly. Wait, so, I've only got one life to do. Sophia's the much more kind of bold, I'll jump on a plane to anywhere. And I'm like, can I do everything from my bedroom apart from like <laughs> go to New York or something? Because let's say I grew up with an agoraphobic mum. Like my house or home is my like safe place. And I'm quite an anxious yeah. person, like as well as being like like a lot of a lot of the times I talk to people is because like I'm nervous, which I think mm. people think I'm like this massive extrovert because dancing no clothes on on a giant podium in front of ten thousand people so far. But that again is just pushing myself out of my comfort zone. So Sophia's like drags me one way as well, just to like kind of pull me out of myself. Like I had to, I just stopped flying for like six months because I was just like, no, this is just frazzling my my mm. brain. I had 12 panic attacks at Universal Studios Florida after going on the Harry Potter ride. <laughs> it's just like wow. like, yeah, this is this is not the one. Just because also learn to kind of be you have to say yes to everything. And it's okay to just like actually look after you yourself as well. So those kind of most definitely kind of things have, have been interesting. And just like when you've been pushing for so so much after a while, like you have to look after yourself. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I still worked and, and did stuff from home, but like I just the idea of getting on a plane really like just frazzled my little brain. Now I, I fly everywhere and stuff. And it's it's funny because, you know, I've flown on my own to, like, New Zealand or whatever. Like, but, yeah, getting on, like, a plane for an hour was just, like, to Paris or whatever was me. And I go, <gasps> gets a bit Gets a bit much after a while, though. It does get yeah. a bit yeah, much. Well, Especially when you haven't had the time to really catch up with yourself, you know? Like, it's, um, it's a funny one because... You know, I've been through it myself where you have like this crazy summer and you're here, you're there, you're at Glastonbury, you're at this place, you're at that place, you fly here and fly there. And after a while, like you, you haven't really had the chance to like catch up with yourself. And what I mean by that is you haven't had the chance to just be grounded in like one specific location 100%. for a like, decent amount of time. As well, because you're so like 
with managing the amount of acts that that we manage and working on the projects that we work on plus starting the he she they brand from scratch which you know we have had team members who who have helped helped us out and stuff but in terms of being it's just like Stephen and I have, have driven that like so so hard so when you get to sort of Friday afternoon and you're flying off touring for the weekend and you get back on Sunday afternoon and you haven't really slept or if you have it's been snatches of sleep and then you stick a wash on when you come home on Sunday like throw anything that you've got in to eat and then you wake up on Monday morning and all those emails like start again no one else knows or cares that you you know still worked all weekend and it's really difficult as you say at the end of the summer my my breaking point is always end of november beginning of december mm. that that period where the whole i feel like the whole year is sitting on my shoulders but at the same time that first couple of weeks of december everyone seems to kick up a gear in music yeah. to get everything over the line <laughs> yeah. so that they can turn their computers off for two and a half weeks and it's always that moment for me where i just feel like i just need this to stop for i really need it to stop so i've kind of taken to trying to work abroad um remotely for a lot of january it's probably our only downtime to to i mean you only really get a week really of being able to turn the laptop off but um being able to sit in the sunshine and just really actually get get the sun and that allows me to be creative and think of ideas for the new year and and things like that and that's been a method that's really helped me the last few years and the opposite the thing that stressed me out was because i couldn't work so I was like, I'm the, like, I need to work all the time. So I had this thing of like, oh my God, my laptop broke as well when I was on this holiday. And I was just like, oh, I have to now process all the births, deaths, marriages, everything, like relationship breakups, like all these different things because I can't hide away into work for two weeks or whatever. So like, yeah, it's... And everything just stopped. So I'd had that like weird thing where I'd hit a wall and then I had to I'd kind of deal with everything. I have a much healthier yeah. relationship with with work and stuff now. But, and like I have a partner who tells me that I have to put down the laptop at certain times. So like, which is really helpful. I need actually quite a, I've got like a, quite a strong partner. I think that's it's necessary for me. And Sophia, you tell me as well, you're like, well I'll, ne I'll never forget that conversation I'd actually been away for two weeks um and I came back to to Stephen's house and I just the moment that I saw him I knew that he wasn't in a good place and he filled me in about what had happened on this particular trip and the panic attacks and he was just really not himself and I knew I knew I had to tell him that he you're not getting on the plane and it was almost a bit of a relief for someone to sort of say this yeah. isn't happening and I think we all need that sometimes we all need because we constantly feel that we must do more we're not good enough haven't done enough or whatever it is that you do kind of need those those people around you who are going to put the brakes on for you sometimes and I think in music especially um we definitely all need to look out for each other and sort of pull ourselves out of our own our own heads on it sometimes because as I say it's a lifestyle it can be really all-consuming unless unless someone's got your back really it's a great moment yeah. in the film of our lives <laughs> where, where Sophia as, comes as it's being at p diddy's house oh yeah <laughs> I, I, I had a weird p diddy's house which is one of my mum's favorite stories in the world and uh, Sophia stole Skrillex's glasses 
by accident oh. by accident well and I, the, I just thought i was really drunk because they were prescription sunglasses and when i got back to the hotel me and Stephen were having a cigarette before we went in and i was like i haven't don't know what's the matter with me i haven't been getting really wasted and then he, he was like this but where did you where did you even get those sunglasses you got and i took them off to show them to him and i realized that they were actually prescription and we saw they had skrillex's logo on and oh, we no had actually way. met it we had actually met him earlier in the evening but I'd found these glasses on the floor and we didn't intend to be at this party for so long. And it was like three in the afternoon, blazing sunshine. I just put them on. Um, <laughs> Where was this? Uh, in Miami. Oh, yeah. Okay. Music, music yeah. conference. When yeah, yeah. We, uh, we ended up at P. Diddy's house. That was oh. like just before we did the thing with Justin Bieber on the Sunday at Ultra where Justin uh. sort of came out as his new persona and we just couldn't believe we were wandering around and Bieber and the Kardashians floating about. Long. It was very surreal. Yeah, I've I've had the exact same experience at uh, Miami Music Week. And, <laughs> um, and, and and the funniest thing was that the thing that one of the most enduring memories that I have from that is is being stood around the pool and there's like all these like video vixen girls diving in the pool and there's like all this stuff going on. And I bumped into this guy, um, this English guy who works in LA for a, um, a PR firm called Infamous, Ali. And uh, I went up to Ali and I was like, I just don't feel like I belong here, man. And he was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> I was like, this is so weird. We like, all felt like that, like we don't belong in there. It was, because yeah. it's just so, so it's, it's like you're in something like Universal Studios and you've been superimposed into a Netflix program. <laughs> yeah, it's like virtual reality for sure. Exactly. Hate yourself, it only hurts. Saying it twice is just a curse. Breathing with the lungs that bleed. Taking things you think you need to feel something. I wanted to ask both of you about the the work that went into Hishi Day because it it really feels like you you hit the ground running with that. It it didn't it doesn't from an outsider's perspective anyway. It doesn't feel like um, there were any you you sort of had any hurdles to jump over. It was just like here we are and this is what's happening. And everyone was like, wow, like this feels like it's been around for ages. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I think we just. We, we knew what we wanted. We, we had a vision and we, we wanted to keep the sort of branding of it and everything very simple. And we had an idea for the ethos and we just, I don't know really. It, it, I mean, it was so much, it's, it's still, and has always been such a slog behind the scenes. Like it's really, it's really hard, a labor of love, shall we say, mm. but 
every single time we get a message from someone who's been to one of the parties and DMs on Instagram or someone who messaged me who I knew who was straight, who then messaged me and said, oh, I came to your party at Fabric and I bought, I've just realised that I'm gay and I bought a guy that I was seeing and I bought all my straight lab mates to Fabric and I came out to, to wow. my straight mates at Fabric. And to me, that literally made me cry because I just felt like that's exactly what I want. I literally want to just create a space for people to really feel that they can be themselves and for, for them to bring friends from all walks of life and to, to be truly themselves in front of everybody. And you know what? Like everyone was cool and they had that most amazing night and moment. And, wow. and I really think we're able to show we want to change the dance floors and and the bookings behind behind the booth we're very conscious of that and and when you when you have representation behind the decks of you know different types of queer people people of color and a lot more women behind the decks and then we have a lot of performers and if you have different performers of different different body shapes and you have lots of trans representation like it it changes the dance floor because everyone feels welcome and we want as many people to, to be able to sort of see themselves in our party and to and to come in a look like everyone at the door is welcoming their trainers or in a little black dress or however they feel is them but another thing that's made me really happy about this is people telling me, oh, I've seen this and I'm going to buy this and wear this to the next Tishi Day. Or mm. I've pulled this out of my wardrobe and I think I'm going to customise it and I'm going to do this and do this. And it's just the, the creativity of it. And seeing people really push their boundaries in all capacities at the event is something I feel is really true to the core of dance music. And something I've, I've, I'd felt with touring globally that I'd felt I'd become a little bit sterile in some of yes. the dance floors I was seeing totally and agree. we felt we were in a unique position of privilege with the artists that we manage and the contacts that we had with promoters and clubs um, and also the connections that we had to the queer scene and with the artists that we that we work with and, and all, all the things that they were connected to that we just we felt we had an opportunity to do something to leave the industry a better place than we found it and um, we love it. Yeah. <laughs> On um on on in terms of the 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 parties that you've thrown so far, uh, uh, which ones sort of really stood out as being like fully representative of of the ethos of the party? Are there, are there any that you kind of you can recall that really? I reckon there's two. I'll take the Newcastle one because Sophia went to India, and I think that's maybe another really important. But in Newcastle, the thing that I loved is that like when when I lived in like the northeast. I viewed myself as straight. Like, I kind of knew that, like, I like guys a little bit, but then I played rugby, so I just thought I liked the camaraderie and I was just a very good comrade. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, socialist again. Um, so so I was in this place and I was in these spaces where, you know, it wasn't that you weren't allowed to be there because you were gay, but, like, if you were gay, you would never imagine, like, holding your boyfriend's hand in there. Just, like... You know, it would feel like you were an out of town and walking into a local bar and the banjos were playing. Mm. So it's just not, not the not the place. And I was like, well, that's exactly where we have to do Hishi there because a lot of our things is, our motto is like, we create a place without prejudice for people to be people. So we take on places that aren't diverse to make them diverse rather than do it in somewhere where 
it's an echo chamber because yeah. everyone's already diverse because that's not changing yeah. or challenging culture. So did it in Newcastle and then I had Honey Dijon and Maya playing and um, we do stuff with locals and they were like, oh, you know, we're not sure that you should write it's queer friendly. And I was like, well, we have to make sure that in we wouldn't write it if it was in a queer club, but because it's in a space where queer people aren't like known to be welcome there particularly it's good to kind of hit it there and be like oh, it's queer friendly night so people know that that, that they're welcome mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. anyway when oh i know a bit it might put a lot of people off and i'm like if you're put off by saying something's queer friendly when you're going to see a night with a british japanese lesbian and a black trans woman and the word queer somehow <laughs> freaks you out what the fuck <laughs> paradoxical situation is that it's like no the queer friendly <laughs> stays and then we had a massive battle about having drag performers but we're like no dancers it's not really our thing we're, we're not sure again it'll put people off so we got 10 drag dancers in the end because fuck it yes. <laughs> um, and it was just like again like that representation like, like we need to make sure that people realise this is a space that they're allowed to go and be free and, and it really worked it really sold and it was I was there with one of our regular hosts uh, Lewis G Burton um, who's a uh, who who's, uh, does a lot of dragon stuff as well and like um, it's an artist and they grew up in Newcastle and they were like I can't believe A that I'm in this club and everything's fine and B I'm wearing drag and it was the first time they'd shown their mum then in drag as well because they felt so free to do it and like all of their years so like and and the drag performers were like oh my god I can't believe I'm in this place and not just being safe but being embraced and platformed and people are happy and trying to get their picture taken with us and like it was just this really amazing moment and it was like because London, New York and stuff when we've done parties or Berlin it's like not entirely but you're relatively um, preaching to the converted whereas yeah. if you start changing that culture in Newcastle which you know it's not it's not like super backwards or anything like that but like there's definitely it's definitely not East London like mm-hmm. like doing that was just amazing and I felt like oh I'm really proud and it's like it was a kind of little love letter to my very confused sexual earlier self that like Oh, it's okay bless. but it sounds it sounds dumb but like it, it did it like no. it resolved a trauma within me because and, and my yeah. sister and and family and stuff were all there and it was like uh, it was yeah it was it was a really cute moment so so that was awesome for me sophia oh, you sweetheart i am really lovely <laughs> <laughs> sometimes yeah um steven's absolutely right with with what i'm gonna pick if i have to pick out one particular moment or show and that that is the the little india run we did in august uh, 2019 obviously we, we did it um at uh, the kitty sue venues which are part of the lalit hotel group which are known for being queer friendly spaces so like even my dad was like mm, he's taking this to india you know but i felt I felt it was really, even him saying that made me want to go even more. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also knew that they were, I knew we were going to get really looked after and that the space we were in was 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 welcoming. 
but I mean, obviously marriage, gay marriage rights have not been prevalent in that country for very many years. Um, it's, it's, it's still been a taboo up until very recently. And although they weren't the biggest parties we've ever thrown, that made me realise that actually for he, she, they, it's not always about everything being the biggest possible party and the biggest thing. But sometimes we're just going to change a mindset or something for two people in the room. Yeah. It can actually really change people's lives. As a couple of the, the two of the, the queens who were travelling with us to perform for the, for the show, you know, pulled me aside and they were like, this is a massive moment for us to be here in, in all our glory and for it not to be like a, a specific gay night that's advertised as that and everyone's mm. being so open to us. And another girl that I was chatting to had come out recently and she said that a girl had just asked her out and that's the first time that had ever happened to her, like wow. in, in public at an event in India. And it's just, it's little, it's little things like that. And you realize that, you have to you have to just kind of get up close to all the stuff that you might think might be scary to actually try and change it and cool. uh, that's another reason why we really like we, we started the label as well because we really want to platform people it isn't always about every single release getting 25 million streams it's about platforming amazing diverse talent and same with the podcast and what our aim is there as well with, with us starting that so mm. it's just it's just about giving a forum and a space for people to feel really welcomed and accepted and to celebrate their original originality, basically. It just goes to show, doesn't it, that um, the, the roots of this culture, which we're all very aware of, you know, inclusivity, gay, black, Latino, like, you know, people that, are, that were kind of on the fringes in that era. And, you know, to, to, to a certain extent are still in some in some places still on the fringes of society. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show that those roots, you know, that and that that idea of 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 safe spaces for people to 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 just enjoy themselves free of judgment in a liberated space together, you know, united, they're still so relevant to to the world today. Oh, yeah, it's sorry. Go I, I was just gonna say it, it is and one one of the one of the things that was also interesting is because I don't want people here in this podcast just to think like. You know, in, in the more not there's no such thing as a straight club, but in the in the clubs that tend to that aren't specifically gay, that it's not just there that there's problems with diversity. Like we we've done stuff in queer spaces as well because um there they can be places of big misogyny and they can be racist places as well, just because mm. like they can still be problematic. So like for instance, if you go into most non-gay clubs. There's three white men DJing. And if there's dancers, there tend to be women. And then if you go to a gay club, it tends to be three white gay males who assist DJing. And then guys with six packs dancing. So everything is done through the gaze of like the male, sorry, the prism of the male gaze. So it's like mm. if you're, for instance, a, a black woman of color or a trans person and you're in one of those spaces and you look around and go, Where, why is this a place for me? Because on what, on what different angle can you connect to someone in there? So we've always gone into like spaces and it's weird because sometimes in queer spaces, they're more resistant to change than in the non-queer space because they think that they're already a group of people that 
have been marginalized and therefore there's no there's no problem but where mm-hmm. like we have to make it so that there's like there's women DJing that there's people of color DJ and change that space and the best thing about that is when you go and change it goes back to Sophia's earlier point about representation when you go and change who's on the decks and who are the dancers and you know on all aspects as well like not just having people with six packs having just people who are good dancers with different body shapes like all these things you feel included and therefore when that's different it's reflected on the the dance floor and who's buying a ticket because all these different people who were disenfranchised before when it was just like three straight white men DJing and like this club is a place for me and I can enjoy it and a space can be held and it was weird because actually historically it was more diverse than it is now Mm -hmm. you go to Asda or like Sainsbury's and you know it's more diverse than you see in a lot of clubs the types of people over there <laughs> that's crazy so so yeah we're just trying to make clubland as diverse as tesco's and then we've we've, we've, <laughs> we've done well but like jokes aside like there's always these kind of different d- different things to kind of challenge and when you were saying the safe spaces i think that where you can have safe spaces where say like is a night for um like women of color or queer women of color or, or trans people where because they feel marginalized in, in most mainstream clubs, they have to have a place of safety to get away from threats of violence or microaggressions, like people going, Oh, you're so exotic or touching someone's hair or la la la. Mm. Whereas it, you might need those safe spaces, but also say your best friend might be a straight white man. And we're totally not against straight white men, like my best buddies would. You know I mean? I, I'm friends with a straight white man. Um, <laughs> like like you want to have spaces that you can feel like part of your own group but also not be marginalized from the mainstream in places where you can go with your like as a as a black gay woman and, and, a, and a straight white man can go to a club together as best mates and enjoy yeah. it and not feel like oh one of us is having to be smaller in the room or or it's some kind of like Oh well, we're picking your choice this week and next week it'll be mine. Yeah. It's just like like so we're not in competition with those spaces. We're just providing another space to make sure that people don't go, oh well, they've got their space, and then those spaces become a ghetto. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we're doing stuff like manumission and, and people like that had had done before us. So we're just kind of bringing back the the values that the whole scene was built on rather than we think like oh my god we're really smart we just created this whole new world like no we just think somebody needed to dismantle it a bit and take it back to parts and then rebuild it and we're not the only night that does this it's just like i think we've just been lucky enough that we're the one that uh, kind of getting spotlighted at the moment i guess yeah for sure man and you know you you deserve to be in the spotlight and you know um the, the what i hope is and I'm sure it will happen is that, you know, other people out there will be inspired to to follow suit and start up their own nights, whether it's some in some provincial town somewhere in Europe or in the UK or US or wherever. And, you know, start to build something of their own that sort of has the same kind of values, because this this whole thing is is not going to progress in the way that. I personally feel it should do, which, uh, which is, you know, to, 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 to be inclusive and to, to move away from this like homogenized kind of um, culture that it kind of has become to a certain extent. And, you know, the only way it's going to happen is through 
people like yourselves getting bigger and having more exposure and then these grassroots movements kind of like following suit and hopefully you know it will all sort of create a, a new sort of trajectory for the for this for this business which is um which is just a more inclusive enjoyable less homogenized kind of world a hundred percent that's uh, he though for us was always about starting a movement and building a family and building you know a renewed sense of community and um we'd love to see more of that everywhere um so we fully support everyone going out and doing that we do get other nights and like like pride different people asking us for for advice and stuff which is nice or asking us about what do you what do you do for door policies and things like that so mm. it's been quite nice resource wise that we've kind of getting used by that. And when we go to other countries as well, we always we always try and do our best to incorporate some some other nights that are that are popping off. Like in Paris, for example, we had you know um, a queer night, and we had their residents come and be first on for our party. And we we don't we like to try and um, as best we can in, include local people when, especially when we're visiting places for the first time, and like engage with the existing people that are already doing like, amazing work there as well yeah nice um yeah i was gonna say uh who who are some of the core artists that are sort of you know you'd, you'd say are sort of like part of the hishi day family then um we've got three incredible residents so our residents are um wax wings um maze and masters and Cyrita, all just just incredible artists and who have rocked parties for us around the country and around the world um but then we've had such a collection of amazing artists that we manage Maya, Jane Coles, obviously, and she, she's she been incredibly supportive of, of what we've been trying to do and, and very generously agreed to play for us like several times around the world, which is always like just a really good laugh. We always have a really good time at those parties. Um, but we've had... We've had loads of people play for us. From We're supposed to have Eats Everything play for us, who's like a fantastic straight straight white man who's a great queer ally and a brilliant DJ to boot. So he was supposed to headline Fabric for us, sadly, just before COVID hit. So we're very much um, looking forward to building that in. But we've had um, Ellen Allian, Honey Dijon, Magda, um, Cynthia, our oh, brain's jumping with some more names here. Um, <laughs> Kitten, uh, Kitten, George Fitzgerald, Heidi, Kim and Foxman, Kitty Smile, uh, Marshall Jefferson, Dennis Ferreira, nice. Satoshi Tomi, uh, Jack, uh, Louisa, Cats and Dogs, tra Transwax. Like, it's it's Brilliant. it's deliberately trying to like you know that you have to have some people who sell tickets, and then you have to have people. We, we want to make sure like to come up like we've had like Effie and stuff like that play for us and like that kind of new breed of rising star and and it's good because because we're lucky and we have had access to headliners that we can like therefore go and mix up the undercard even more and and pick up these people and platform them so that they can go and run and and, and, and do good things so it's it's all about platform and people and kind of giving them the means to be seen because we found a lot of times if we book someone that other people book them afterwards so it's been uh that's cool it's been really nice and I, 
That's I feel like the, in, the industry had become like just like slightly narrowed in, in the terms of there was quite a small pool um, in, in the terms of how many artists there are, a, sm a small pool of people who were considered headliners. And I think the more and more you can spotlight more and more people, the more that pool is going to grow and that pool at the top is going to become more diverse. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see like a bigger variety of outstanding parties, um, but it does have to sort of come from the bookings and um, yeah. It's a major irritation as well because all those headliners tend to be like straight white men, but it's like they're only headliners because everyone booked them, and like and therefore the ticket buying public is tends to be a straight white man because it's all designed for them. So imagine mm -hmm. if you change the beast, like, and that's the thing, like we've, sh we've actually shown people that there's an actual financial argument to diversity, that if you make stuff that's just for white men, the only people who are going to buy tickets really are white men en masse. But if you go and make it democratized so everyone's included, you're actually widening the fan base to everybody. <laughs> yeah. And like, like it's, that's the, the kind of weird, stupid thing. But if you have a lot of, you know, concentration of power, the club owners are white and they have their mate in who's a white man who's who's the promoter who will book his mates so then the DJs the owner everything is already part of that and I think Sophia and I are lucky because we've made a lot of clubs a lot of money over the years with our acts that we were allowed access and people to take a chance on us where maybe other people wouldn't have been that you know like oh I'm a queer guy mm. and I'm a woman can we run a big night on your Saturdays here like, like, do you know, it's a totally new branded night. It's it, for a lot, like we do, we do appreciate that we were in a position of privilege, but which we fought to get to. But w once we attained it, we were like, let's try and do some good stuff. And our big yeah. thing is that nothing's ever tokenist because it doesn't need to be because the amount of talent that's out there, that uh, like the amount of like amazing black DJs or Latinx DJs or women DJs or queer DJs or or like trans DJs or non-binary DJs. It's like, it's not like, oh, like Sophia and I do it like countdown. Like we'll have a trans person and a black person <laughs> and then two women from anywhere else. Like it's not <laughs> another Anglo-Centric reference to, to our game shows, but but it, it's just like, we just go and pick people that we like. And like, it naturally is kind of like that. Cause I guess Sophia and I have quite broad taste and it, and like being a woman and a queer person, maybe we we listen to to, to more different types of music. So it's it's been quite good. And we, we you know we've had like a lot of allies who've helped us, like Dennis who books Ministry, or Andy and Judy who book Fabric, or like uh, Uli from Watergate, like people who've actively like helped platform us and have and have, and have, have like made sure that like you know. That they had to make financial arguments to their clubs and mm. people as well. So like, it's it's not it's definitely not just us. So the amount of like you know like people like Ellen and stuff playing for us who we don't manage but wanted to do it because they believe in the idea of it or or you for instance you know who's given us this platform like we yeah, we man. are we are very uh, blessed in that that people have. Uh, taking a little chance on us but like that's the thing i think if your intentions are good because a lot of people i think get shit scared in this kind of cancer culture era of 
well, we don't want, we know we should change, but we don't want, we're a bit worried that we'll get cancelled if we change and do something wrong. Uh, it's we do, we want it to be tricky. authentic, but we don't know if we quite have the right, you know, context to make it authentic. authentic and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which which is totally fine, you yeah. know. This, so, this, this is, but um, they end up doing is, nothing because they're so shit scared to make mistakes. Was like we make mistakes and we learn from them, and correct them. Like actually, that's it. If your intentions out there, like you have to put your ego to one side. And go, oh, do you know what? I fucked it. Like like when we first started doing this. I was just being aware of like the the concept of like being non-binary, which made so much sense to me. Like when I heard it, but like there was like we were like okay, well we're gonna do this. Like let's look at some non-binary resources we can use. And there was like there was none that existed even with like big companies like organizations like Stonewall and stuff. Like it was really interesting wow. when we was first doing like because now. You know, you've got Bimini talking about it on RuPaul's Drag Race and 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 there's like Sam Smith's non-binary and Janelle Monet's and like mm-hmm. a lot of these like much bigger names have come out as it and the awareness is because he, she, they stands for he if you're uh, identify as male, she if you identify as female and they if you identify as non-binary between the, the binaries of male and female. So mm-hmm. and we wanted to make a night that that put everyone on an equal platform hence the he she they um so when we first started doing it some of these ideas that maybe feel a bit less left field were quite left field at the time in terms of like take them to ministry of sound <laughs> like um and pushing for pushing for gender inclusive toilets to come yeah. back at ministry of sound yeah, which was right. which was a battle but but we got there and do you know what there was no issues there was no issues there never at is all. With in, toilets in, and gender, which is the annoying thing of like people have just gone, oh, trans women, it's going to be so dangerous if they use the toilets. Like, what when they're in a cubicle not, having a wee? Like, what are you talking? And about? then probably lending lending you a better lipstick than yours to touch your makeup. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. But like, there's been some beautiful exchanges I've seen in those toilets. I'm obviously really aware of those things when I'm w- walking around the party. I'm really aware of, you know, seeing different interactions. And there's there's been some great moments. You've seen people just really having a laugh together and people just feeling safe. And it's 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 been it's really great. And I I, I wrote a strongly worded letter to to um to my MP about this whole toilets issue and, and the things that are happening at the moment with the Conservatives trying to take those those rights away. And I just, I have never seen anything that's made me feel unsafe about um, a trans person using a bathroom that they feel they identify with. So crazy. Um, we fully support everyone being able to use the bathroom that makes them feel comfortable and safe. Like. So what um what what does the future look like? Because you know we've been we've been on hold for a little while, but you guys have still been working away on various things. Um, you know, if we were to to get the green light in June, and you you know you had your two months of like buffer zone, and perhaps started doing stuff around sort of like you know end of the summer. Um, yeah how 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 does it how do you kind of feel like it's all gonna well we've got a few different things because the record labels obviously continuing and we've got releases lined up for for that we've got the management company so maya's next big album is about to to land and we've done it at a crazy short film for that in lockdown which is immense and probably one of the things i'm most proud of in our career um and then 
we've got a podcast series that's coming up, which I will hand over to Sophia, who is also available for all your voiceover needs. Um, <laughs> we'll be doing Definitely. the podcast series with me. <laughs> yeah, we just, we love the idea of starting a podcast just because, well, A, we the idea sort of came about when we didn't know when the clubs were going to come back and we, we wanted to find a new way to create community and we also wanted to find a way of 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 educating people but without it being you know yet another documentary or one page to read about diversity that just feels sometimes like yeah a bit laborious as much as it's necessary I do understand that but we just thought if we can have everyone from MPs to DJs to uh, sex workers to uh you know people from drag race um or whoever it might be and just have have some really great and brilliant conversation exactly like the one we're having now where we can just exchange stories and have a chat and where people can absorb that information in a really unpressured way Mm -hmm. um and it can be accessible to everyone whether you've got access to one of our parties at, at this moment um or not so that's something we're really excited I'm a little bit nervous about doing it but I think it's gonna be fun um and I just think there's gonna be some beautiful stories we're gonna hear from people yeah 100%. so yeah we're, we're, we're despite the news and everything going on there we're gonna continue with that I'm sure we'll be doing some more we did a great streaming um streaming um thing with DJ Mag last week and I'm sure there's gonna be more streaming opportunities still in the run-up to to summer but in terms of actual gigs I don't know we've got we've we had of things sort of lined up like shows in Greece shows in Austin shows in Montreal going back to India for another tour a tour in Australia South America tour in South America um going back to going to San Fran for the first time mm. um as well as um more parties in the UK so I guess um, we should have done DC 10 as well if, if yeah, one we thing supposed to do it. Off, it's like we were supposed to be in DC 10 <laughs> and I wasn't I think I had to go to like Morrison's or something instead it's just like ah it's not <laughs> yeah so we, we were really excited about that DC 10 is like a like we, we both love that club and so we were really excited to be um to throw a party there last year. So we hope that we can reignite those conversations. It's going to depend where um, all of our wonderful partners are coming out of this. So everyone's been through a lot and everyone's coming out at a different place, but we hope to pick up as many of those conversations as possible and, and revisit our, you know, very regular partners in London and Berlin and Amsterdam. Um, and, and then I'm, who knows what will happen. One thing I've learned with PC Day is that you just, I absolutely never know what email is going to drop in, in my inbox from day to day that's going to mean, mm-hmm. you know, something crazy is going to happen in the next six months. So I, I predict a lot more of that. And, and in fairness, there's probably a few people who we won't kind of work with anymore after watching, like, like it's been a very political year. And seeing some people's mm. response to things like it Black has. Lives Matter or transphobia. Not everybody. Like, yeah. some people were really impressive. Or, or the way that, like, you know, the reactions to the Me Too situation and Eric Murillo and stuff. So there was definitely some things where you're like, Jesus, our our industry really needs a kick up the arse. And, like, there's some people who really emerged as, like, 
natural champions that were activists and wanted to change stuff. And there were some people that felt almost complicit in there. Yeah. And there was things so not to take it on a down after something, but that all no, that no, and stuff. No, no. But like <laughs> I think those things are really important because we don't want to enable people that that, that I, d- I don't know what the right is word is, but Marcus, you're a wordsmith. Put some, put a word. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> we, we, people that are f- people that are fuck ups. No, I need to check yeah. <laughs> No, I, I I totally hear what you're saying because there, there's there's I've and I've we've we've all seen it and there's there's some of some of these um some of these situations have been very public in the way that people have just completely not read the situation or they've been blind or deaf to things you know and, and it's and it's it, it's in a way it's inexcusable because there, there's so much out there and, and especially like there are so many people that are talking about these issues in such a frank honest yeah. and vulnerable way that if you're still like sledgehammering like these messages that just don't quite hit the mark you really have to take a look at yourself, and I, I, I totally hear what you're I, saying. I think that's that's the problem. It's the it's the perseverance of it. Like, mm. like, okay, like, like you know, anyone can make a mistake or get something wrong. Like, they read all lies matter and they think, oh, but you know what? Like, that's a nice notion. Do you mean? But then, if you challenge them and go, well, actually, all lives matter kind of eradicates the the voice of communities that are struggling because whilst all lives do matter in theory, black people aren't being treated equally with everyone for instance, or explain that white privilege doesn't mean that, like, you live in a nice fancy house. It just means that your skin colour isn't one of the things holding you back. Like, so yes. if, yeah. if, like, I can understand someone living in a council house being told, oh, you're privileged, it just gets their back up because it's like privilege is so, so associated with wealth. So, but mm-hmm. if you've taught them and, and, and engaged and gone like, well, no, that's not what it means within this context. It means this. But then they still persevere and go, I'm not going to change my mind, like, da-da-da-da, or, you know, black people are making up with you showing the black card, everyone has a tough, or all these things. Like, and you haven't learned from that moment, or you're still a misogynist, or you still, like, mm-hmm. go, oh, you know, that girl got attacked, well, she shouldn't have worn such a short skirt. Like, yeah. like I'm just, I'm just not interested. Like, you can educate people to a point, but then, and like, you know, as I say, everyone makes a mistake, and there's, there's a real big thing in learning from mistakes, admitting them publicly, and moving on from them, and going, and then That's applying it. that logic. So it's not like I'm an advocate of cancel culture and people if they, they get stuff wrong, but if people get stuff wrong and then refuse to acknowledge it and move forward from it, I spe- like you say all the information it's not even like you know six seven years ago whatever black lives matter starting like from, from where i've gained my kind of first awareness of it to now it's such a gulf in just how means you know it's talked about on like loose women and um yeah. morning tv across the world black lives matter it's like it's 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 so much more well known you can't you can't not be aware of it unless you're knowingly choosing to ignore it so we have, totally. we have, we have, we're not going to work with like a promoter who's still like, or life matter or whatever. Like, cause, cause mm-hmm. I'd rather be poor and have some sense of morality than 
written Amen off the thing. That. Yeah, I mean, and Absolutely. we are, we are, and we are. <laughs> so we're, we're a self-fulfilling prophecy. Fabulous. <laughs> so look, um, I've got, I've got one, one last thing that I wanted to cover. But before I do that, Steve. What was? Can you tell me a bit about this peach night? Because ever since you mentioned it throughout the whole interview, I've been thinking, "What is it? What was it actually like?" <laughs> it was. Um, oh, do you know what? that was kind of today? It was hard house and trance, and there was people like Fergie and Lisa Lashes and Anne Savage, and actually we had a a load of female DJs. Lisa Pennell played for us. So when I started, this is ninety eight ish, ninety nine, like. It was it, it was quite a different piece because you had like I'd go to festivals and I had like pictures of skin from Skunk and Nancy and Shirley Mance on the wall, so I had all these strong female female artists. Mm. Bjork was Bjork was just coming through, so like and you had like loads of female DJs and like you had people like um, Angel playing, who was a black female DJ at the club. So actually, it was it was and this was in Sunderland. It was more diverse than kind of mm. kind of is like. God, 20, <laughs> 20 years onwards from that. Uh, I did have to um, ask Brandon Block to leave because he did a Wii in our DJ booth. That was the, <laughs> that was the highlight. We'll see this. This is, yeah, pre, pre the Brit Awards storm. And I but, um, of course he did. But, but, but yeah, that, so it was in Peter's a night that was at Camden Palace, which oddly I'd never actually have been to. Like, because I couldn't, I couldn't have got into the club. Wow, but like that's hilarious. Yeah, um, so, so so yeah, it was just it was a big night at Camden Palace, which was like hot house and like Graham Gold and people like that used to DJ there, and uh, it was it was really nice. And a lot of the DJs then later we did Sunday Central Newcastle. I used to dance as a leopard there, um, <laughs> not as a leopard, <laughs> as a leopard, as a snow, <laughs> as a cat. <laughs> um, but like. Like a lot of those same people were there, like and Rob Tazira and stuff, and like they were really, they were really nice. That was when Sunday Central was owned by Madders and not by the present incumbent. But that's mm-hmm. not mentioned Sunday Central yes. or the CRF fund. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so just just to finish up, what I wanted to ask both of you was, um, you know, going tracing back to your your very beginnings up to now. Um, what has all of this given to you, you know, on a, on a personal level, um, you know, there's obviously joy, progress, personal growth, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, just to sort of bring it back to, to you two as individuals, um, what was this, this whole mad, <laughs> crazy, <laughs> crazy lifestyle giving you? An anxiety My, disorder. <laughs> yeah, we've both got anxiety disorders that manifest in different ways that we support each other through daily. Um, for me, it's it's a sense of purpose. I I, I really lost my sense of purpose um, during my previous job before I met Stephen. I actually tried to leave the music industry, and I got down to like the final six out of a couple of hundred for a really good job at WaterAid because I just felt like I I just I just felt like I wasn't nothing. I loved music, but I, I wasn't giving anything back. I wasn't doing anything to like to help. And I feel that ever since we've started He She Day in particular, I, f- I feel a real sense of purpose and a, a sense that I really feel like 
we can leave the music industry yeah a better place than than when we started and at the same time I can still consume amazing dance records and I can still have the wild parties and times and meet incredible weird and wonderful people but I just I can see it helping people and yeah that's that's definitely what it's given me Mm. I think this, the same thing. I mean, we, what we never mentioned was Hishi there originally was supposed to be a fashion label. And, uh, oh, yeah. and, and last year, we actually were on the official schedule at London Fashion Week, selling a, a clothing line. And we and the first ever night that was celebrated trans inclusivity at London Fashion Week. So it's like, again, like the things that it's been able to to do is this platform he she there i mean jackie weaver befriended us as he she there to peaches snickers on the this is, in the last month it's been a very weird time steven's fav- favorite thing about he she they ever is be- being able to become one of jackie weaver's friends <laughs> <laughs> she has all the authority at he she there but um but, but yeah but just these weird things that it's been able to unlock that were like when we said we wanted to start a fashion label that ran cool parties and there was an inclusive fashion label the idea that it came to here where a million people watched our um beatport he she their pride party last year that's insane and because because it was free it took away the thing where lots of people can't afford 15 quid to come to a club yeah yeah and like there was imagine the people who'd access that where they were in countries where it was illegal to be gay or to promote being gay but they tuned in and they had that moment and and we've helped facilitate that thing and like i think my biggest thing is ever since from from working with maya who helped me come out originally and that's why she became like my best buddy is uh, like and from all the things you shared but like it's just build like finding a community within being queer that I identify with because I used to go to gay clubs and like as a bisexual man, I'm like, I'm, I, I guess I tend to have male partners now, but you know, I, I, I do occasionally still, still find women attractive. So I, I, I say I'm bi or pansexual, but um, mm-hmm. I've had it where I like got touched on the shoulder for being like kissing a girl in a gay club because they're like, it's a gay club. Like, well, it's not actually, it's a, it's an LGBTQIA plus space. So like, I, I'm allowed to be bisexual here. And it, I felt this weird thing of being too gay to be straight and too straight to be gay. Um, mm. And creating this space and meeting all these people. Like We have friends now that identify as augurs or human dogs or meeting the non-binary people or a lot of trans people. Like I have so many people in my life that I can call up from like India to New Zealand to think that like you connect with on such a honest level because the space allows people to just be totally themselves and like it's 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 resolved a lot of I guess my internalized homophobia and things and and I've just I've learned a lot I've genuinely become a better person through the journey like and that's meant shedding my ego realizing as well like for instance as a liberal I would definitely have been one of those ones because of the time period that I grew up going you know oh I don't see color Marcus, like, like, yeah. like, like, I just love everyone, and I'm thinking I'm Martin Luther King having the dream speech whilst I'm doing it. <laughs> like, like, but the thing, the thing is, because where I grew up, not being racist was not punching someone because they weren't white or not mm-hmm. saying that name, like, that was the level that it was on when I was young. So, 
getting to a point where I understand systemic racism like as a as an actual thing and realizing that me saying I don't see color whilst well intended is actually silencing people and going well I treat everyone the same when everyone isn't being treated the same so like I've had to unlearn a lot of things that I thought were the right things to say as it were as a liberal as a as a left-wing person so it's there's there's had to be an ego shedding of like oh well I know it all like well I I don't and I constantly have to learn better language or newer concepts or so so just from that I think that like yeah I've learned from someone who talks a lot and I mean a lot to actually shut (laughs) up sometimes and sometimes shutting up and knowing that you don't have the answer is the most powerful thing you can do in the room 100% on that note I'm going to shut up uh steven sophia thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me it's been um it's been really enjoyable and nice <laughs> nice to spend a uh, part of my evening with you both and congratulations and well done on all of your achievements i think you've done such a fantastic job both individually and and as a team and you know obviously the the Hishi day thing is just such a fantastic concept and and you know like beyond the concept something that is like hopefully going to really like stimulate our culture and 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 push it forwards as it needs to be pushed forward so yeah thanks a lot uh, thank you so much marcus yeah. like for giving us this space it's been like what was that noise Stephen? Yeah. no I, mean, I, was, I was just gonna laugh at it. I was like <laughs> like like because when i first met marcus i was just annoying the shit out of him on a bus going it's okay to smile you know like like and like for him and then we became really good mates for like this is that's about 10 years ago isn't it I know it's quite a long time ago. I, and we were all, both in such <laughs> different places and it's just yeah man it's really nice just to see you just settled into yourself and like just happy with with, with another one about releasing really books and all yeah. like yeah like yeah like Marcus Barnes is he she there approved is one of the best humans in our scene and he's <laughs> constantly fighting to give people voices that are otherwise not heard properly or silenced or whatever so 100%. big up marcus <laughs> so thank you marcus <laughs> <laughs>